as promised, we're back for a second one. Um, we we said right. there's four weeks in Advent, so we have to do four at least four of these. Um, at least, at least four. Controlling yeah. us to four should be the problem. Well, I don't know. The German guy who came up with the candles only had four. Well, five, but all right. Well, that's right. Um, there's the Christ candle. Yeah, uh, but last week I thought we I thought we did a really good job of of unpacking your book a bit. Um, I I still am enthralled by the idea of reading the Old Testament for Advent. That's that's somewhat yeah. avant-garde in our <laughs> angelical world. Wow, cutting edge. I've yeah, it is, it is. It is. It's it's sort of how classical education is now innovative. That's right. Um, yeah, that's right. right. It's now cutting edge. So um but I, I thought if we kind of follow the candles through, the the next candle in Advent is some, some traditions, the peace candle. Uh, and that one uh, is is complicated as well um, because it doesn't feel like we have a lot of peace, right? Yeah. Um, you and I are historians. We think of imagine the 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 hope uh, for peace in the world after something like World War One when you start saying the war to end all wars, you know, as if we finally have put this to bed. There was some, yeah, there was some hope. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and. And 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 that idea of peace, I, I wonder if the reason we have trouble thinking about Jesus as the Prince of Peace um, is because in the earthly realm, oftentimes the only way you see peace is through some strong man crushing the weaker, uh, like World War One. Right. Um, right. And so I thought it'd be helpful for us to talk about sort of what is real peace? What is peace for the Christian? Because obviously it's not an armistice. It's not a, a treaty. Um, it, it's not a conquering the way United right. States and the allies conquered Japan and Germany in World War II. So what is it? Because I'm not feeling it, right? Yeah, that's a great point. You know, and I, and I think probably as evangelicals, you and I have all gone through this and the churches won't let go. And for a good reason, the idea of peace, but we as moderns have done a lot of things with that, right? So it could be an internal peace, which could come down to a career decision or a medical decision. I feel at peace about this, or it's a spiritual peace. Well, spiritual warfare in one sense, I feel very confident there. Um, we get very antsy when we worry, we start thinking about peace politically, like is the Christian supposed to be involved in bringing global peace? And then we start worrying about peacekeeping forces and military. Yeah. So I think you're right. There's, we know peace is part of the gospel. We know that it's something that's both, both a here now and yet to come. But to what degree can we celebrate it um, when it's so hard to define or so hard to arrive at? Um, and I, and I, think, I, I think even in my own time as a Christian, the tension between that public peace, like something that's supposed to be realized in the external world, and an interior peace, like I feel at peace. I've never known how to bridge those two, you know, in my evangelical upraising. You know, my dad was very much a, a World War II kid. He was born in 35. So military and war and defense is, is a crucial part of our den, and we have to do it. Um, but he was also raised in a very revivalist thing where, you, you know, you get an inner peace when you have a conversion experience. Mm -hmm. But those two seem, I, there's not a whole lot of continuity between those two experiences. So if Christ is the Prince of Peace, how does he bridge those two parts of it really become? And as a historian, Dr. Draper, I think, I think telling the story of peace in history is much rarer than telling the story of war. Doesn't tell um, as many maybe, books. That's right. yeah, maybe that's why it's not as exciting to write about. Um, but the idea of inner peace then is too is too uh, experiential and too personal really to catalog. Like, when are you supposed to be at peace and what are the conditions? Some people say, well, I'll know God wants me to do something when I feel at peace about it. And then they really have a difficult time sometimes finding that. 
Um, so I think this, I think it's a very active question. When, when Christ promises a Prince of Peace or the prophets call him this, or Christ refers to himself as the son of man, how, how do we see peace? And, and I'll ask you, is it something that because of the gospel, we ought to see both publicly and privately? Is it something that we should hope for, long for, and work for in the public space as much as seek it in the private space? I think uh, I'll be somewhat Augustinian, which shouldn't be a surprise. I would expect uh, nothing less of you, by the way. Good, good. I, I think that uh, in in a fallen world, we we should probably work for peace, uh, but it's going to be approximate peace. Uh, it's not full peace. Um, it's it's not really the peace that we truly long for. Uh, you made an interesting statement, and probably didn't realize it. You know, we talk about peacekeeping forces, so. It seems like in the in the fallen world, even if we can make a temporary peace, we still need someone to watch it and make sure it stays that way. Um, but I, I think there's an inner peace that, that that's true. But I think the inner peace comes from understanding the bigger story. Um, I, I have to know that all things are leading to something. Um, that it's not necessarily peace the way I would envision it on this side. Uh, rather, it's the it's the coming of the kingdom. It's the consummation. It's it's all of this coming together. And and I think too, I think the challenge we face with this is we're really we're so wrapped up in time. But God's eternal, so God can sort of see this whole thing sort of in one shot, right? Where right. we just can't. Um, we 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 see it sort of linearly, and we say, well, we don't have it yet. Um, what, what did Jesus really do? Because there's still a war in Russia and, and, and Ukraine right now. So how much peace was there? Um, and I, I think and I, if I, I'm sorry, I, I think sometimes where you see this tension oftentimes is when you read letters uh, from soldiers in World War II, World War I, Vietnam, uh, any war really, uh, over Christmas. You know, the, the, you know the, they're yeah, fighting right. a war when they're supposed to be celebrating the Prince of Peace. And we talk about a, just a, a, a sick irony. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I, I, you raise a good point. So this, I think how you deal with it, um, you say story and narrative. And, and I think that's one way that we have to deal with this. We have to say, you know, said this different times, you know, you, you don't read the center part of a book and understand the whole thing, right? This idea of teleology and telos, like it's the end that makes sense of the rest of the story. And, and we have this really uncomfortable predicament of living in the middle of the story. We're, we're born as the story was being told and we're gonna die and it's still not over. So one of these things that makes it uncomfortable is that both our inner and outside peace are part of a larger story. It's not, we're not the heroes of the story. It's a much bigger story than us and we're in it. So I think story is one of those things that are really important. That's why nativity through scriptures, you're seeing this, people live this out over long periods of time. So you can see how the story develops. And I think there's one other part, and this is what I think a lot of Christians right now, Craig Carter um, um, and uh, my friend down at, um, at uh, Palm Beach Atlantic um, are, are all dealing with is this idea of Christian Platonism, too, and this concept that it's not just a story. It's also a shadow or an image. And, and I use it this way. I think it is one of my early uh, readings in the book is to say the natural world is God's vocabulary. He's giving us to understand him. And so trying to achieve peace here might be less important than realizing that when we have peace, it gives us a small taste and an image of what that peace is actually like. And, and I don't know how to combine, let's say, the post-war peace after, you know, that America is able to, able to generate after World War II as that was the one that will lead to Christ coming back. I don't know that part of the narrative. 
right. when I see peace develop, I can say, oh, that's when, when Christ says he's a prince of peace, I now have a very small broken image of what that looks like. And, and I think if we do that, we're really looking to say, how can these moments we have in experiences be projections or shadows or fragments that help us start to really learn what we're anticipating? We're anticipating, like you say, the wedding feast of the lamb. Well, my wedding feast that I have was not one leading to that, but it gave me a flavor like, oh, this kind of celebration, this kind of joy and community is what is a very bad picture of that one that's even fuller and greater and more wonderful than this one. And so I think, yeah, peace also, if Christ is the Prince of Peace, he's setting it up eternally, but he's gracious to give us little tastes and pieces, whether internally or externally, that teach us what to expect from the great, you know, his second coming when they'll finally be peace. And I think there's something valuable in that for us. As we yeah, think and I think it. the complication too is that we, I think peace is is a for 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 most people, you know, not not the uh, megalomaniacs of the world or people who <laughs> right. enjoy chaos, uh, but for for an average person, um, they they long for peace. Um, they they truly long for it in some way, and I mm-hmm. think maybe part of what confuses us for the Christian is that. Um, humans have attempted to create bad copies of 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 peace um whether it's you know the hippie movement right what was their the peace symbol um yeah you know or uh i I recently heard a podcast fascinating podcast on the whole burning man uh uh, oh interesting yeah fascinating right and it's this very crunchy earthy sort of spiritual experience but again there's a sense as can we create some sense of peace and how do we do that um and so i think that's part of it that we we really have to have a definition of peace that is governed from the story from genesis to revelation especially the end of revelation um rather than the multiple ways that humans have attempted to construct it and at times i think where the church has actually been part of those false constructions right well if we win this war the millennium will come or the kingdom will come right and 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 that's that's a post-millennial right this is part of the yeah progress that will take us to yeah the and you but you can unfortunately you can you can play that card in in any of them post pre or a millennial right you can yeah. it's it's so I think that's that's one of the challenges we face is what does the peace of God look like versus the fake pieces that we've and the, maybe really the fake definitions of peace that we've come up with. Um, yeah, and I, that's why I think why I myself have settled on this as the as the guiding. And it's, there's always more. I think the again the historical narrative and all that's important. I, I like this idea that we are pointing towards or a shadow of because I think it really gives value to why we pursue it. In other words, if I want to tell my brother or sister, um, here's why you should worship Christ because you can bring peace. And this person has no example in their life of that. Then I, I don't, I can't, I can't show them what I'm talking about, but you know, if, if, and this to me brings together a lot of things in our own Christian walk, why, you know, we want to help people out of their suffering. We also want to find Christ in their suffering. So suffering good or bad. Well, it's, it's neither good or bad. It's both. But the point is, I, I want to relieve some suffering so I can say, see, this is just a taste of goodness. I, I tell this to students uh, a lot of times about social justice as an issue. I say, well, how many people that Jesus healed finally died? How many people that you give water to will finally die? Like, you're not solving anybody's absolute problem. Right. But if you give someone water, 
you're saying, okay, did you see how good that tasted? How wonderful? Now let me introduce you to he who is the water of life, right? So if, if everything we do is a, is a pointer, I think we have this, this reason to pursue peace so I can say, good, this is only going to last for a minute, I realize, in a broken world. But if you taste that, now you know what I'm talking about when I say Jesus is the Prince of Peace, right? I think we've got- You know, as you say that, Dr. Spanger, it reminds me of Jesus's talk with the woman at the woman at the well. You know, where is this well? So I don't have to keep coming back to this one, right? Like, exactly, we, exactly. We, we always look for it in, in what we know uh, in that way. And so, and when it doesn't show up, we're like, oh, well, I guess you failed. Uh, rather than saying, no, there's a bigger story happening here. Something else is taking place right. um, here. And- I think now you and I have been talking about peace, and again, we're historians, so we're talking about war peace, right? But I think also too, there's there's people who want internal peace, and not sort of internal peace in some sort of kumbaya, you know, I, you know, I, I meditate on my navel for an hour, but genuine sort of wholeness that way, whether it's spiritually, emotionally. There's a lot of broken people walking around, um, looking for some sort of peace. Um, and I think that's that's also part of this, right? I, I recently had a conversation with a young guy, he's in his 20s, and we were talking about drug culture uh, while we were hiking. And he said some fascinating observation. He said, you know, he said, you know what's really interesting? In the 1980s, it seems like all the drugs of choice were to keep you awake and get with speed, right? It was cocaine, it was crack, it was this, it was somehow you want to be, you want to experience the fun even longer, right? Even more intensely. He said, but now what's fascinating is a lot of the drugs of choice actually allow you to check out. They they knock you out. They, you know, they, 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 they don't keep you awake all day. They don't help you. They they really just give you a space to just go into some sort of mental neutral space, um, which I think is, is maybe speaks to some of the lack of peace that people feel internally. Yeah, that's true. The, the, the one thing we know about our culture now is it's always trying to drum up another. It's amazing that we live in, in probably the most, you know, um, most the wealthiest, uh, most peaceful era, you know, in human history. And we, we struggle with anxiety um, yeah. You know, certainly there are there are issues of inequity uh, happening now, but really they pale in comparison to the inequities of previous generations. You and I have just did papers on slavery, knowing what kind of evil that is. I mean, th th there's a very great difference between what they experienced then and now, and yet people have this anxiety. And, um, you know, I think partly that comes from choosing the world's definition of war or choosing the world's definition of lack of peace and then trying to find it on the world's terms, you know, and What's funny, what's interesting about mm. how Christ interacts with his people and God does is what looks like a really terrible situation to the world, to a Christian may not, to, to live at peace in a situation that is in total, you, you have by Christ's promise, I think of the promise given to Joshua at the beginning of the book, you have the promise of having courage and peace, even though the external world is not at peace. And, the, and, and that really is the work of the spirit to not take the world's terms of what is it supposed to look like? Peace is only when there's equity. Peace is only when I'm treated this way. Peace is only when I get... If you accept those definitions of what's wrong, those are just recipes for constant anxiety and trouble because those aren't actually the definitions of peace. The definitions of peace is trust, right? Trust in God's authority, trust that he is making yeah. all things right and trust that it won't be done now. You can actually find peace when the world isn't at it. But the world's terms right now, it seems to me to be the very opposite. Um, you will only feel good when you're no longer victimized, when all the world is right and no one is treating this way. I can see why that induces anxiety um, yeah. Even though now in these conditions, historically speaking, 
are probably the most rare for producing what should be peace and relaxation because of how much we have. We're not yeah. struggling with starvation. Yeah. We're not, war is not overrunning our country. I mean, some people may think it is, but it's really not. Yeah, and, and so maybe the way we we almost need to approach the the peace candle at Advent, I think, is it's it's a in some ways it's a um, it's similar to the sacrament of of Holy Communion in that it, it should force us to look back, but also look forward, right? It it it's it's this moment where um, we don't have it now, we don't have biblical peace now, not in some sort of you know platonic realm of the forms piece but we don't have the shalom that that god will give in revelation uh 21 and 22 but we we also you could almost look back and say there was a time when humanity did have that peace and the peace it seems like the peace is with god um it's not peace with each other it's not peace with the country it's not peace with this it's humanity's problem is it lacks peace with god and the only right. time in this narrative where there's true shalom is when humanity has peace with God and this other stuff right. falls away. Uh, I That's mean, right. if you think about the first time the peace is broken with God, it's only a couple sentences and we've got the first murder. Um, and it's been yeah. downhill yeah, since. Exactly right. so, exactly right. um, and so maybe that's well, well, part so. of it is, do we have peace with God? And the only way I maybe like you use that word trust the only way in the middle of the storm, uh, the chaos, uh, is if I have some trust in God. But also, I think you have to get to the point where you accept, not in some sort of escapist way, but that this world is not the be-all, end-all. Yeah, yeah, um, that's exactly right. It's what yeah. you said I think last you week. Said God would not makes it does not make a very good king based on our standards of a good king today. But, I, um, but, you, but you, raise a, you raise a great point. And I think, um, I think this is where Christians can easily get tripped up. You know, the, the word peace sounds like something that's attainable, sounds like something we can get. And we seek it. We seek it first in what really are the consequences of peace. You seek it in your brothers and your sisters, which is good. And you seek it in between nations, and that's good. But on its own, that is always just another pretense for the next war. And, and relationships yeah. that are based on just getting right between one another is that is once that's established, it's the next breakup that you've got to deal with where yeah. you're exactly right. The, 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 if we see it correctly, all of the problems, the lack of peace and war have been a result of a break with God. And therefore we need to get that right first. That's the, that's the organ. And that's the secret to all happiness and peace. If we get that, then what flows from that is actually wisdom and how to deal with our brother and our sister and our neighbor that points towards Christ coming back. So I, I, I would say you said it to me the best. It, it starts with our relationship with God. Yeah. It, is, it is the primary. It is the, it is the first. It is the prime mover, if you use Aristotle sort of thinking, that leads to all other peace happening. And since we're wrong there, we're not going to be right anywhere else. I think that's... Well, and it's, it's too, what, what war could truly... I mean, so we, we, we talk about the word peace, um, but you, know, you and I are using also the word wholeness. Because what we really seek is wholeness. We might use the word peace, but what we are seeking is wholeness because we want peace with God. But what war, uh, what economic um, advancement, what social welfare program could possibly bring capital W wholeness to anybody? Um, It can't. It it just can't. I mean, I I think of World War II and, and we 
of course our grandfathers were part of it and you know was this we we grew up with the pictures and the ticker tape parade in new york and but in a very sort of cynical gen x way it's like well yeah but all you did was like pause for a bit and then you started the cold war in a couple of years right and we all had nuclear bombs sort of pointed at each other so um that's not wholeness um, that might have been peace from that current set of, of of aggressions, but it's not wholeness. And I think maybe the word we're even using has been hijacked in some way, right? No one, no one uh, uh, at Versailles, they didn't say we're going to sit down and write a, a wholeness treaty, <laughs> right? We're going to write a peace treaty because <laughs> um, all that meant is we're going to stop shooting at each other at this time. You know, we can get plenty shooting in before eleven o'clock. Just stop at eleven. We'll pick it up again in twenty or so years. Well, isn't that what some of the some of the generals said, right? This was just a, a truce. It wasn't really maybe that's a better way to look at it. Maybe in the human way, the best you can get are sort of micro truces at times. But you, you're never actually going to get the wholeness because essentially the 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 war, the angst, the anxiety, these are all these are all symptoms uh, of something that's far more toxic. Well, you know, the, there's, and so here's where we end up trapped. And I think this is why you and I came to this conclusion that this, this whole podcast is, is really has a lot to do with our citizenship in heaven and this word negotiate, which is so important because there you come up with two extremes. One is the world's never going to get it. They're never going to give us anything like holism. So forget it. And the other side is no, we can actually fight hard and make yeah. things work. And, and, and we have to negotiate between these because both of these are true. We're not, we're not called to sit back and just let it go. And well, we'll never get holiness or peace to so throw the whole thing out. And we can't escape and go, well, I'm, 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 you know, or, you know, I can fix everything or I can fix nothing. We're negotiate between those. And I think if, if what we're talking about are these multiple metaphors that we need, this idea that wholeness is peace, I think is beautiful. And this idea that we can have it in part now and it points to is important. And the fact mm -hmm. that we're part of a story where God is bringing peace slowly but surely. And so what we're doing now will matter in the eternity by his work. I think you got to somehow, and this may be why it's tough, you got to hold all of these things together. You got to hold together. Yeah, we're never going to have it. The poor will always be with you, Jesus says. It's always going to be reality. But that doesn't mean you don't stop fighting for it. But it doesn't mean you put your hope in this world. But it doesn't mean you stop hoping. Right? So it's it's yeah. really somehow, as you, and I think this is why we, we, we landed here, you and I, in these conversations was it's never not negotiating. It's, it, you never hit a point where you go, okay, I figured out the solution now. I mean, if that were the case, wisdom literature wouldn't be wisdom literature, it'd be answer literature. Right? Right. There's a problem. And we wouldn't need wisdom. those chicken soup books either. <laughs> a lot of those are important. Wisdom is really a constant, you know, between Scylla, Scylla and Charybdis, we're constantly, yeah. no, we got it. No, we've gone too far. No, we got to go back. And I think sometimes Christians get the idea that there's an answer out there. And once we land on it, we'll be like, well, we got it. We can just, we can just cruise. But That's a really the history of a fallen world and fallen people is it's a constantly, oh, I've gone too far this way. I've been too active trying to, re I got to go back to trusting God, not being a, whoop. I've become passive. Now I got to go back. And I think we really got to learn to keep doing, as you say, negotiating. It's a, it's a regular ongoing act of wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think too, um, when you say that, um, when you even go to the passage, all things work together for the good. What does that look like? Right. Cause that certainly doesn't look like that when someone's in it, in their deathbed with cancer. Right. Uh, it, it definitely doesn't look like that when someone's laid off or there are times when I've said to my wife in various circumstances, I, I don't even know what I'm doing here. Like, I don't even know what I'm doing here. This, this is, and, and 
she will always point to maybe events that have happened and say, well, you're here for this or you're here for that. Uh, but maybe in those moments, it would be better to say, when I can't make sense of this, God's doing something with it that I there's no wasted moment here. There's no wasted trial. There's no wasted suffering. And it will only make sense in eternity. Um, and and that's that's a hard reminder because the world is so right there in your face. The material is so there in your face to say, well, it's it's pointless, it's useless, it's God forsaken, you know, things like terms like that, where no, God is using the moments when you maybe you're being defeated in the physical realm. Um, right. But there's something going on in the larger realm that and I realize for some people, this is going to sound very platonic, I understand, but um, it's not Plato, it's, it's, it's scripture. Moses, for heaven's sake, yeah. Yeah. No, that's it. Yeah, a, yeah and, and you're right. You know, that that's that's the thing about believing and trusting in a God of the universe is that he's a redeemer. His his primary function since the fall is to take our garbage and turn it into gold. However, he does that. And the scriptures are full of Abraham's a total mess, but out of him comes Isaac. Joseph and his brothers are disaster. I'm just reading this. They were disasters, right? Sleeping around and killing people. Yeah. But out of that mess, he turned what they meant for evil, as Joseph said, to something for good. So yeah. this is the God we worship is the redeemer God. And he's not the God that, that makes it all right now. He's the God that allows us to take this story forward. And every time we do something and, and mess it up, or, he's always recrafting it and reforming it and turning something wonderful out of it. And you go to Revelation 21 and 22, and Jesus says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. There is the greatest hope of humanity, not just the Christian right. of all of us, that right. somehow he started this. We're going to screw up the middle, but he will bring this to its end and its completion. And I, I agree with you. Not one ounce of suffering that we go through will be lost. This is, I make this point usually around, around the Cain and Abel, which you brought up, that even the death of Abel is not something that, that goes unrequited or is unimportant. Jesus, you know, God says his blood calls out from me, from the mm -hmm. soil. Um, even, even the earth itself will give up its dead. Um, all of that has a point. All of that has a reason and a purpose. Um, you, you can say, well, no, it doesn't. And that's nihilism. And I don't recommend that even for a, even for a minute. Um, I think you have yeah. to see, yes, pain will not go away the way we want it to now, but it is part of a large story that God will finish telling. And that is our hope at once that yeah. he will bring that peace. And I, and I guess this question for you, Mark, as we wind down, is that peace enough? Is realizing that peace enough for us to engage the world the way we have to engage it with suffering and difficulty? It it it, I, it should be right, and I, oh, I think I the think challenge comes. The challenge comes here. Um, you when you uh, study people who um, might be going through depression or having a depressive moment or whatever, they always talk about the self talk, and the the probably the most important conversations you have all day are the ones you're having in your head um, with yourself, because those are the conversations that are creating the outlook oftentimes that you have. And it's almost as if you need to be reminded that your conversation, you need to bring in some dialogue from scripture. You need to bring in, yeah. because if you just focus on the here and now dialogue, well, then you're going to want to find the latest drug of the day to check out uh, regardless. But the, so it, it, but you always need to be reminded of that, that you almost have to, um, the word I've been landing on is 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 the same way we we uh, Calvinists refer to the sacrament as nourishing. Um, I think we have to nourish on the right theology yeah, of right. God and of, of right. time, and that has to become our self talk. That has to be part of the conversation right. in our head. 
And it's a wrestling match because there are other conversation partners wrestling for time in our minds conversation. And, uh, and again, this that also might sound sort of like, you know, we're, we're talking about some sort of schizophrenia. We're not. It's it's oh, Roman seven. Paul sounds a lot like that to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the, the can I continually go back to it? And, and again, I think this is why something like the Advent candles are so important. The practice, the rituals of it oftentimes is really it's part of the catechesis. Um, where you know every year I do this because it's going to force me to stop and really think about biblical peace or biblical hope or biblical um, love. And hopefully I'm doing that more than just once a year, but I need those spots in the year. I need those times in the year where I'm forced to do that. Um, and that's why, the, you know, one of the reasons why the book I, I wrote was arranged around scriptures, because really the ultimate thing is return to that. And I think what I've learned in my own life is I used to I used to read the scriptures to give me good theology or win debates or I think I'm reading scripture now to say, OK, my affections are all off my mm. heart. How do I reshape it and how do I read it so that it's teaching me how to rethink, not how can I prove it to be right or prove something wrong? And I I would hope, as you say, that inner dialogue is so crucial that scripture just becomes part of our inner dialogue, like the words from scripture get memorized and seen and returned to you regularly because that starts to shape your expectations, your cosmic and social imaginaries we like to talk about. Mm-hmm. Get reshaped as you read scripture. And then then hope and peace aren't something that you have to go prove. They're something that have been shaped into you to look for and to expect and to long for in him. So that my hope is that that at the center is what gets returned to every year, a set of texts that help walk us in through that yep. with some some discursive stuff around it. But really, it's the text at the center. And not that we're trying to sell books here, but I think it is good to spend some time reading things like that this time of year because the the world around us is is just uh, at least the way they market anyway everyone's having the most wonderful time of the year <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and there's plenty of people that aren't i mean we well, they we are really on my do, bing crosby pandora radio channel yeah we really do sort of have this idea that somehow the morgues and the hospitals close on Jan- december 1st and don't open back up until january 1st uh, and everybody is just having a great time for a month and going to parties and giving gifts. But the reality is that's not true at all. Um, it's it's so it is important to kind of go back and have our uh, our narrative and our internal dialogue nourished and shaped by yeah. the narrative of scripture and not what uh, Fifth Avenue is telling us should be our uh, our hope. So yeah, God's story. Not I, ours. I hope this is helpful for some people as they're as they're processing and realizing that we are, uh, as Christians, we are looking for eternal hope, um, that this is not the be-all, end-all, but we're also not Gnostics. Matter matters. God is working in the matter. He is bringing things about through us. Uh, so we're it, we're not just throwing it out. We're not just, uh, we're not saying we wish you a Gnostic Christmas. That's not it at all. That's not what uh, we're doing. Here. No, not at all. God is Real savior in real in time. He really died. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, right. well, thanks for your time, Dr. Spanger. Thank you, Dr. Draper.